G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media, thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation today at vision.org.au. It's so crucial that we understand this. Go back to the book of Genesis. It is an amazing record. Hi and welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. Today we have another interesting message in our Modern Day Spirituality series. Pastor Jeff will share with us about the history and impact of Islam, which shares some common history with Judaism and Christianity. We define things differently. We come at things differently. And every time I've heard a message on Islam, nobody ever starts where I'm going to start today. That's why it's going to take me too. Because let me tell you, it's not as simple as you think it is. This is Today with Jeff Vines. I got to tell you, I'll be glad when this series is over. (laughs) I have never in my life studied so much and read so many pages of history to try to be accurate, to make sure I don't say anything that's going to be offensive. And ultimately, you know, you can't do that. You're always going to say something because you can't keep everybody happy. But I've really tried hard. But I'll tell you what I miss. I miss walking out here without the charts and the notes and just kind of inspiring you to live the life God calls you to live, to remind you that we are more than conquerors, that Jesus, whatever it is you're going through, wants to give you that power to overcome, to be more than conquerors, more than overcomers. Just talking about it, man, I miss the good old days. I really do. But this is important, what we're doing. I really believe it is because I kept getting questions about my Christian faith, about what it is that Christians believe. And the best way to discover that oftentimes is by contrasting and comparing it with other world religions. And that's what we're trying to do. But today we approach a religion that is closing in on 1.2 billion strong, 1.2 billion. It is going to be the most difficult religion we tackle for two reasons. The first Let me kind of illustrate it to you. There was a young African man who went to another African man in a different part of the continent, and he asked him this question. He says, what is your opinion concerning the shortage of food in the world? And his young African friend said, what is food? Then he went to an American, and he said to the American, what is your opinion concerning the shortage of food in the world? And the American said, what is shortage? And then he went to Russia, down into Moscow, and he spoke to the Muscovite, and he said, what is your opinion concerning the shortage of food in the world? And the Muscovite said, what is opinion? And then he went to a Middle Easterner, and he said to the Middle Easterner, what is your opinion concerning the shortage of food in the world? And he said, what is, what is? Now you're confused, and you know why? When you start a discussion about religion or politics from the West to the East, you can't even get past the first two words. Because we define things differently. We come at things differently. And every time I've heard a message on Islam, nobody ever starts where I'm going to start today. That's why it's going to take me too. Because let me tell you, it's not as simple as you think it is. It is difficult. The second reason is, whether we like to admit it or not, many Americans think that anyone wearing a turban is a terrorist. 
And you just know they're building a bomb somewhere in their house, gonna blow you and your family up. I had a guy walk in to this auditorium about four weeks ago and tell me he is a Muslim who recently converted to Christianity. He's looking for a church to attend, but everywhere he goes, he's an outcast. No one will trust him or invite them in. So what is he to do? Now, just to show you what kind of sense of humor God has, when we lived in New Zealand, the house next door to us, I mean close next door, was vacant. And about four months after we moved in, a new family moved in. Their last name was Habubi. <laughs> they were Iraqi. And I jumped to the conclusion like most Americans, I thought, well, I'm gonna defend my territory. And I wasn't even in America. But it's something within us, ingrained. And they became ultimately our best friends in New Zealand. Hussein Kalud, she was an uh, unbelievable cook. Have you ever had Middle Eastern food with the raisins and the nuts and the curries? It's to die for. And she would make these meals and come over and present them as a gift. Oh, hello, we'd like to give you something. And their daughter, Tiba, their son, Ali and Hamza, uh, just a great family. They taught me more in seven years about Islam than any religious class ever could. And that's why I want to start by saying that, you know, the one thing the Muslim wants the most is only found in Jesus. The one thing he or she wants the most and the only way we can ever present to them that one thing that they want the most is through love and relationship and a non-judgmental attitude and patience and kindness and caring. So here's where I want to begin. I have to tackle this in two weeks. We can't dig that deep into the doctrine or to the five pillars of Islam. We'll get to that next week because every time I've heard a message, no one ever starts here. You got to start here or you'll never understand. And here's the first statement. The religion you know as Islam is rooted in the same historical setting and circumstances as Christianity. The religion you know as Islam is rooted in the same historical setting and circumstances as Christianity. Now think about this just for, it's so crucial that we understand this. Go back to the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible. It is an amazing record. It tells us how and by whom the world was created. It gives us the names of the first people and the circumstances surrounding their lives. And in Genesis 10, chapter 10 through chapter 11, we have what scholars call the table of nations. It is a record of early society that developed from the time of Noah. Now remember Noah, Genesis chapter six through nine. Little kids will remember his story. God created the world, gave us freedom. People would use their freedom to worship God. But the people of Noah's day abandoned God. And the level of sin was just out of control to the point where God finally said, enough is enough. And he destroyed the world by a flood. Now, if you know the story, God spared eight people. And Genesis 10 lists that generation as well as the people groups then that would flow out of Noah's three sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. Now pay attention very quickly here. Japheth, the oldest son, he fathered what are now known the Indo-European people. In other words, from Japheth came those who live today in Europe, all across India, including those in Russia, and even most likely, in my opinion, those who crossed the Bering Sea and would begin to populate North and South America. Ham, the next to the eldest son, fathered the families in Africa and the Far East, including those in the Asian world, as well as some of those in the Middle East region. And then from the most well-known son of Noah, Shem, we have the Semitic people of the Mesopotamian Valley, the Middle East as we know it today, which includes, of course, the Jewish people and the Arabic people. Now, this is why understanding Islam can be so difficult, because to understand Islam is to understand the history. And in America, 
we're just not that interested. Anything that's older than two years old, we think is irrelevant. It's a passe. It's in the past. You look at the young people. Now, I don't mean to pick on the young people all the time, but when you get old, that's what you do. It makes you feel better. <laughs> and you look at a young person today, when they hear a song the third time, it's old. Well, the generation before you, we cherish the older music. That's why so many of us still like the hymns because it takes us back to a time when we remember what we were like when we first came to Christ. Now, you go to the East, man, the history of the world is everything. And I remember the story of a Western diplomat wanting to get in the good side of the Chinese prime minister years ago, uh, uh, Zhong Lai. And he didn't know how to get under the good side. And so he asked some people around him, how can I strike up a conversation and get to know this guy? And they said, well, the Chinese love history. Just start a conversation about history and you're sure to get your foot in the front door. So he tried to do that. He was seated next to the prime minister, Zhong Lai, at, uh, at a, uh, at a uh, kind of a, a function for government and uh, ambassadors. And as they sat there, he finally got the nerve to strike up a conversation. And he asked Zhong Lai this question. He said, what do you think about the French Revolution? The response is classic. He said, it's too soon to tell. <laughs> Two centuries later, and it's still too soon to tell. We are a culture that soon forgets the past. I want you to know that you cannot understand Islam until you understand the history of the Middle East because everything is tied to the past, absolutely everything, and it's deeply rooted. You think about it. When we talk today around our families, we say that when you're with your family around the dinner table, there are two things you don't talk about. What are they? Religion and politics. But in the Middle East, those two things cannot be separated. They're one and the same. And every conversation is about religion and politics. So in order for us to understand this, what I want you to do this morning, sit back, relax, and learn a little bit of history and begin to understand how it is that we're going to be able to reach those of Islamic faith. This is Today with Jeff Vines. Today we're hearing about Islam, its history and impact. We're looking right back to the religion's beginning in order to understand its influence. Now, go back to the beginning. When God created Adam and Eve, he placed them in where? In a garden called Eden. Folks, this is not a fairy tale land. It is a real place located in the vicinity of the Tigris-Euphrates Valley, somewhere in the Mesopotamian Valley, the heart of the Middle East. This is the place where God walked and talked with Adam, the land of the original paradise, the beautiful land where God placed the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil, Genesis 2, 9. And today, this very same place where mankind began is the center of the Arabic Muslim world. Now note again, if you're up on your Bible knowledge, you'll know also this is where the Tower of Babel was built. Right here in this land where man attempted to gather and combine resources and unify to basically dethrone God. And God's response was that he separated the people, he separated their languages, and worldly religions came and were developed out of this setting. And later, if you know your Bible history, something else famous was built here, the city of Babylon, which today, of course, is modern-day Iraq. You say, Jeff, what is your point? This area that we're talking about is filled with biblical and religious connotations and history. It, you know, it really, it's humorous when an American comes back from visiting the Holy Land, they'll always say, you know, I felt so close to God when I was there. You know, I went to the Jordan River, I just felt so close now imagine that you were born in that area, that you live every day, that you walk every day, that you exist in a land where history began. History is forever upon you. It's something that you never forget. 
And if you're up on your Bible history, you'll also know that this is where a man by the name of Abraham emerges, right? And he was told something very specifically and interesting by God. It's found in Genesis 15. You will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, to your descendants, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates. Now folks, that's a wide expanse piece of property right there. In other words, according to the Bible, God gave Abraham and his descendants all this beautiful land in the Middle East. It's kind of a nice gift. Now, something I need to give you as a side note that we'll pull back later is Abraham's father was Terah. Terah was a moon god worshiper. That was the most common form of idolatry in Abraham's day. There were two great central locations of moon god worship. The first was Ur, located in the Persian Gulf, what is now modern-day Kuwait, and then the other, Haran, located in the area of what we know today as modern-day Iraq. And so into this family of moon god worship, Abraham is born. Again, what's the point? The land of the Middle East, the Mesopotamian Valley, the land of the Arab states, all of this is where human history began. As a matter of fact, and I don't want to get too sidetracked here, most of you, if you're familiar with Bible history in the book of Revelation, know that not only is this the land where the world began, this is also the area in which the world will come to an end. Now, no matter what your millennial view, most of you are familiar with this word. Okay, you've heard it, and it sends shivers down most of your spines, okay? Armageddon. Okay, some scholars believe that this is uh, the, the name of a battle that will occur in this area where men fight against men, leaders fight against leaders, and something really bad happens. Somebody pushes the button and we all blown to smithereens and the world comes to an end. Some people believe that. Okay, but I want you to understand whatever you believe, this word comes from two words. Okay, it comes from the word har, which is the Hebrew word for mountain, and Megiddo, which is the word for that place between two mountains, a valley of sorts where the great battles of the Old Testament were fought. So whatever your position, it seems to be that this piece of land, whether it's men fighting men or some believe it's the modern-day Tower of Babel, Har Mountain, where men try to climb the mountain and battle against God again. Whatever that looks like, who knows? Revelation is a difficult book. But whatever you believe about Harmageddon or Armageddon, the reality is this piece of land is a crucial piece of land to world history and most likely to the end of world history. It's also a very important piece of land because this is the area in which Abraham fathered the Jewish people. And that land that I'm talking about, that is so magnificent, that is the beginning of human history, has been promised to Abraham and his descendants according to Genesis 15. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, to your descendants I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river of the Euphrates. That's a long area of territory. The land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Say that fast three times. And according to the Bible, the promise of God was given to Abraham from the Mediterranean coast deep into the Middle East. All of it was given to Abraham's seed. So here's the question. So what's the problem? And my goodness, Jeff, how does this relate to Islam? Because when God gave Abraham this promise, there's only one tiny, tiny problem. It was already occupied by somebody else. Would you like to guess who? And 
Today, let's face it, the Middle East is so beautiful, it would be easy for you to understand why it would be worth fighting for. Just for a second, for the sake of argument, it is some of the best land, if not the best land in the world. You have the Sharon Valley that possesses all of its coastal riches. You have the very spine of Israel featuring this extremely fertile land. The Dead Sea seems limitless in mineral riches and chemical wealth. And then, of course, you have the Arabian Peninsula that exudes with treasures of oil and Lebanon, which was once covered with valuable, valuable timber. This is valuable, beautiful land, and herein is where the conflict resides. And like I said, anytime I hear a message on Islam, they start too late. We need to go back to the beginning to understand because today, both the Arab world and the Israelis claim that the land belongs to them and it was given to them by God. And you're taught that from a very, very young age. Both the Arabs and the Jews believe the promise came through Abraham. Do you know that? Islam believes that Abraham is the father of all nations. The only difference is, and it's a big one, Islam believes that when Abraham went up onto the mountain to sacrifice his son, it wasn't Isaac that he had, it was Ishmael. Now, who's Ishmael? Now stay with me here. How is it that both could believe that they've been promised by God the land but the difference is through whom the promise comes and to what people the promise was made. Well, all you have to do to find that out is go back to Genesis chapter 11. God gave Abraham a promise according to the Bible and said that such promise would be fulfilled in and through his son. But you remember the story? It's a great one. Abraham was 100 years old and Sarah was 90. And this was a big vision for an old man. Abraham started thinking most probably, how can I father or be the father of many nations when I can't even father one child? Now, the promise God gave him really pumped him up. He's ready to go. But Sarah, she was thinking about this too, that she was 90 years old and she's not going to have a child. But rather than just thinking about it, as typically goes, the woman starts to become active and do something about it. Now, she had a plan, although it wasn't a very good one. Because in Genesis 6, 16, no pun intended, Genesis 16, Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children but she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. And then this next verse is the least surprising verse in the Bible. Abraham agreed to what Sarah said. <laughs> Doggone it, it's a hard job, but somebody's got to do it. What's got to be done has got to be done. And neither Sarah nor Abraham seemed to be able to trust God that he would keep his promise. So evidently they decided to help God along a little bit. Hagar, the maidservant, became pregnant and bore a son named Ishmael, an illegitimate son, according to the Bible, not the son of God's promise, not the son of the covenant, but the father of many Arabs. Now, here's what's interesting. Look at what Abraham does. A perfect example of be careful what you ask for, you may get it. Look at what happens after Ishmael is born in Genesis. And this is back to verse 18. And Abraham said to God, if only Ishmael might live under your blessing. And then God said, yes. I mean, yes, yes, but your wife, Sarah, will bear you a son and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, well, I have heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and will greatly increase his numbers. Now you think about that for a moment. You have 250 million Arabic people today living and surrounding 5 million Jews. God answered the prayer. 
I will make him fruitful and will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of 12 rulers and I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. So Ishmael becomes the father of many nations. Sarah did bear Isaac and through him came the Jewish people. But she had also had Ishmael out of which came 12 nomadic tribes who lived in Northern Arabia, who became bitter enemies of Israel. And with the risk of oversimplifying this, I'm going to try to simplify it. The Middle East today is simply two brothers fighting for seniority. I'm sorry. It goes way back and deeper than you and I will ever imagine. It is not that easy. Well, that's all we have time for on Today with Jeff Vines. We'll continue to learn about Islam next time on the program. Here's the other issue. Allah offers no salvation. What a Muslim really wants is security and salvation. Security to know that they are right with God. Today with Jeff Vines. Just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.